Heavenly Father, your word tells us uh, that all scripture is breathed by you. It's God-breathed and that it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and for training us in righteousness so that we, your servants, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. We would pray that uh, just today and right now, through your word read and preached, you would accomplish this, um, that you would soften our hearts to hear deeply what it is you have to say for us and that we'd go away uh, with lives uh, more and more shaped by your gospel uh, and living lives that are pleasing to you in every way. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Julie. Our Bible reading comes from Matthew 5, reading from verses 20 to 48. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Murder. You have heard it, heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is an answerable to the Sanhedrin, but anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar and first go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still with him on the way, or he may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may, ha may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. I tell you the truth, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. Adultery. You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for, you to, for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Divorce. It has been said anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness causes her to become an adulteress and anyone who marries the divorced woman commits adultery. Oaths. Again you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but keep the oaths you have made to the Lord. But I tell you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, 
or by Jerusalem, for it is a city of the great king. And do not answer by your head, swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. Simply let your yes be yes and your no, no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. An eye for an eye. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Love your enemies. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbour and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, and said, rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. One moment. <laughs> Thank you for that, Julie. Uh, it's a long reading. It all hangs together and is uh, a necessary, important word from the Lord for us today. So uh, let's get into that. Um, before we get to the passage, though, uh, in, in ancient Greece, uh, maybe you've heard of this, in ancient Greece, these actors, you go to the theatre and the actors would wear masks. Uh, they put these different masks on for different characters, and it was a way of putting on a different persona on the outside. Uh, and the Greek word for these actors, anyone know what it was? Uh, hypocrites. Hypocrites. Uh, originally, it didn't have the kind of connotation that we have uh, given it, uh, but these actors, that's the kind of, the original word was just talking about acting underneath a mask. Uh, but it's a word that it came to be associated with, not just with going to the theatre, <laughs> but with a much more sinister uh, tendency in our hearts, uh, our tendency to put on masks in our relationships uh, with one another and with God, to present an outward persona that doesn't match the inward reality. We all do it to some extent, but there's a particular kind of mask-wearing, a particular kind of hypocrisy that Jesus has firmly in his sights throughout this Sermon on the Mount that we're looking through together right up until Easter. There's a particular kind. It's a hypocrisy that, according to Jesus, is so serious, it sets people on a road towards destruction. 
It's spiritual hypocrisy, uh, mask-wearing when it comes to our relationship with God and with each other in God's family. And there's, a bit, there's one way that this, uh, this kind of mask-wearing showed itself in Jesus' day. It was in the, an, an attitude towards God's law in the Old Testament, uh, God's law given in the Old Testament, it, an attitude that focused more on what it looked like to be righteous on the outside and wasn't really concerned with what's going on on the inside uh, with our hearts. Sometimes, you, uh, sometimes this gets called legalism, this kind of attitude. And for the religious leaders of Jesus' day, the scribes and Pharisees, the Pharisees and teachers of the law, uh, it seems to be that this legalism had taken hold. And it wasn't a new thing even then, though. You see this again and again right through the, the story of the Old Testament. Uh, but through the Old Testament, God was looking forward to a, a, an incredible day. Uh, and again, this comes into focus in the prophets in the Old Testament. And I've just got one particular passage from Ezekiel to share with you as we lead into this part of Matthew's Gospel. Ezekiel 36 uh, the prophet Ezekiel looks forward to this day when he says, when God says, I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Uh, well, we saw a couple of weeks ago, uh, if you were here, when Paul Harrington spoke to us on those verses, key verses for the Sermon on the Mount, verse 17 to 20. Uh, we saw a couple of weeks ago that Jesus says he came to bring fulfillments uh, to, the, uh, to the Old Testament, uh, what he calls the law and the prophets. All its promises and patterns and hopes, everything strains towards Jesus and what he would accomplish in his own life and death and resurrection. Uh, and so this moment is now here. Jesus comes announcing the kingdom of heaven has come near and calling people to repent, to turn around and to trust him. This moment's now here when God would transform his people from the inside out. Uh, that's uh, where we finished last time in verse 20. Jesus uh, says those hard words in verse 20 that those who enter his kingdom, this kingdom of heaven, are those who have a far greater righteousness than that of the Pharisees and teachers of the law, the religious leaders of the day. Uh, far greater. He's not talking about, sometimes we hear that and we think, oh, we've just got to be better Pharisees. They did, they got 90% of the way, we've got to get 95% of the way. Um, he's not talking about that. He's, he's, not, he's not saying be like them but better, have a more polished mask. Uh, he's talking about a different kind of righteousness, a righteousness that's not a mask on the outside, but a righteousness that flows from the inside out, from the inside out. And that's really what this the rest of this chapter 5 is all about, and also into next week in chapter 6, where Jesus will actually use this uh, word hypocrites. <laughs> it comes into more focus next week, but it, you, it's throughout this whole section of Matthew's Gospel. Jesus is showing what this new righteousness of his kingdom looks like. Uh, it's worth saying here that uh, Jesus, teach, Jesus is teaching his followers here. His disciples come to him on the mountain. Uh, those who have they've heard and seen something of who he is and they have entrusted their lives to him. Uh, they want to follow him. Uh, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, this is going to be helpful for you to hear what a, a life following Jesus might look like. Uh, but the place to start isn't with changing your actions. It's the, the place to start is with Jesus himself. 
with uh, Jesus himself. This, this won't make sense to you without first coming to him and asking him to give you this new heart that can then flow out into a new life. Uh, and just on that, a quick plug for uh, Life Explored, which is a series I'm beginning today, right here, uh, well, over there in one of those buildings uh, after morning tea, so around 12 o'clock um, please do, uh, you're all warmly invited to come along to that. It's a seven-week course looking at life according to Jesus uh, and, and uh, there's uh, some nibbles to keep you going, COVID-safe nibbles, uh, and it'd be a great opportunity to talk more about who Jesus is. So um, quick plug for that, 12 o'clock today over there in one of those rooms. But back to the text. Uh, uh, Jesus is talking about this righteousness from the inside out. He takes one of the Ten Commandments, uh, which is the foundational instruction for God's people in the Old Testament, uh, given to Moses on Mount Sinai, if you know the story. And just on a side note here, it's interesting, isn't it? Here's Jesus also on a mountain, uh, but he's not receiving instruction from God to pass on to the people like Moses did. He's giving it himself. And so there, there, is, there is a huge claim all through here about the authority of Jesus. His equality with God the Father. He's showing, he's showing here the true intention of that law that God gave, what it looks and what it looks like now in the light of His fulfilment, the fulfilment that He brings. So, um, Matthew five verse twenty-one. What is this righteousness that surpasses that of the, the Pharisees and teachers of the law? This inside-out righteousness, not a mask-wearing righteousness. What does it look like? Well, Jesus says, you've heard it said to the uh, people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Uh, see, the mask wearer takes God's command here, don't murder, and thinks, right, well, I haven't actually taken anyone's life, so tick, I'm all good. Uh, another notch on my righteousness tally. And Jesus says, well, okay, sure, you might not have actually killed someone, but what about that anger in your heart that bubbles over? What about those cutting words that just flow out of you, uh, that, that resentment that you're harboring? It's a bit like a fruit tree. Um, uh, see, Jesus is dealing not just with the fruit that comes from the fruit tree. He's dealing not just with the fruit. He's dealing with its roots, its, its seed, not just the extreme outward expression of that, but the heart that gives rise to it, the heart that gives rise to this fruit. Perhaps the apple shouldn't look so nice there because this is bad fruit we're talking about. Uh, but Jesus, you get the point, right? Jesus is talking about not, not just the fruit but the seed. Uh, to live in his kingdom is not just about not killing people <laughs> uh, Jesus he, he's doing something much deeper he's creating a kingdom of reconciliation of restored relationships uh, a kingdom where it's unthinkable that anyone would think would speak vicious words to each other or even think vicious thoughts about each other that's his point about uh, saying raka which is a word that means something like you idiot <laughs> or you fool um, I remember reading this when I was a kid and getting a bit paranoid because I used to jokingly call my brother, and sometimes not so jokingly, call my brother, you fool! Um, uh, but it, that kind of misses the point, doesn't it? 
this isn't ac about accidentally saying a form of words that might land you in hell. <laughs> that, that, would be, uh, that would be the wrong way to think about this. Uh, it's about the heart. And Jesus is saying, you might not be a murderer, but if your heart is in the grip of anger and resentment and bitterness, and if that anger flows out of you in words of hatred towards other people, Jesus is saying, well, watch out. The pathway you're walking down belongs not to the kingdom of heaven, but actually to the fire of hell. Uh, so Jesus says, he, he says to his people gathered around him, he says, do whatever it takes to pursue, not just to not hurt or not even not, not murder, do whatever it takes to pursue restored relationships with one another. Uh, that's what those examples are about in verse 23 and 26, to 26. He says, value these right relationships with people, restored relationships, even if it means you have to make the first move and take the initiative to, to restore this. It's, that, that, that's hard, isn't it? It takes humility. It takes a kind of meekness and a deep courage to be this kind of a, a peacemaker. But Jesus has already talked about meekness and peacemakers before, hasn't he? <laughs> um, in Jesus' kingdom, it's the peacemakers who, will, who are blessed, uh, who will be called children of God. Well, yeah, you see the same pattern as you move through this section. You see the same pattern in verse 27. Uh, Jesus says, You've heard it was said, you shall not commit adultery, another one of the Ten Commandments. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So again, the mask wearer thinks, okay, I haven't committed adultery, tick, I'm all good. Um, and Jesus says, ah, yeah, but <laughs> what about that lust in your heart? What about the way you treat other people? Not as precious bearers of the image of God but as objects to be used for your own pleasure. Um, the outworking of that, that Jesus focuses on here, the actual act of adultery, that is condemned by God and so destructive. Uh, but Jesus says ad adultery actually starts long before the actual act, doesn't it? The seed of it is in the secret places within your heart where no one else sees and he says it begins with your eyes, with your look. Uh, maybe you picked that up as we went through. Now, Jesus isn't talking here about the, a moment that uh, the look Jesus is talking about here isn't that momentary recognition of someone else's beauty. Uh, it's not that. It's the next step after that that Jesus has in his sights that he's talking about. It's what you do with that, the lingering look. A look with lustful intent. I think it's interesting that Jesus addresses men here. He's talking to a crowd of disciples. By the end of the sermon, we find out there's lots of, you know, there's a whole crowd around him. Um, he hasn't yet formed his close group of 12 yet in Matthew's gospel, so there's no reason to think it was just men listening in. But he singles them out. And I don't think that is at all to say that women don't struggle also in this area. But there does seem to be a particular struggle and responsibility given to men to guard our hearts even from this first step of sexual sin. And Jesus tells us to take this so seriously. Uh, we should do whatever it takes 
to guard ourselves from moving away from God's good design uh, here. Uh, those images Jesus uses in verse 29 of maybe, uh, if you haven't heard this before, maybe that really struck you as it was read out, gouging your eye out or cutting your arm off. Uh, they're not meant, Jesus doesn't mean, that, mean them to be taken literally. They're, they're a form of kind of rhetoric that Jesus is using that's meant to shock you. It's meant to wake you up uh, to how serious this is. So maybe it means that there are things in your life that feel so as central to you as your arm or your eye, uh, that, but that are leading you into sin in this area. Maybe it's your Netflix subscription. <laughs> Maybe it's your smartphone. Uh, perhaps it's a relationship or a group of friends. Jesus says it's far, far better to, to end that relationship, to get, to get rid of the TV, even to have a dumb phone. <laughs> far better to that than to stay on that pathway, that road which is not shaping you as a citizen of heaven, but it's actually a road that is leading closer to the fire of hell. Okay. It's pretty um, intense things that Jesus looks at here, doesn't he? Uh, I hope you can hang on. I hope you can keep going through this um, right to the end. Uh, but we're going to go a bit quicker. Uh, Jesus highlights the same pattern of focusing on the externals rather than the heart. Uh, so in verse 31, um, it looks at Jesus, uh, God's permission for divorce in the Old Testament. And the, the hypocrite, the mask wearer, thinks, um, okay, uh, he takes God's permission of divorce as an encouragement to be divorced. <laughs> uh, all I need to do is do the paperwork and I'm all good with God. Great, tick. Um, and, and again, Jesus, he wants us to move away from that external kind of face to the hearts. Uh, the law in the Old Testament was never meant to encourage divorce. It was actually in place to discourage a kind of easy divorce culture and provide legal protections, especially for women. Um, but uh, Jesus goes to the heart here. God, see, God's heart is for marriages of faithfulness. Uh, and I'm just so conscious this is a very, um, very complex and messy area for many of us. Uh, and I spoke on the Bible's teaching on marriage and divorce uh, last year, actually. So for a fuller account of that, you can go on our website, and I encourage you to do that or chat to me if you want to talk more about this. Uh, Jesus isn't saying everything here, but what he is saying is that if you share God's heart for marriage, then you won't be looking for quick legal loopholes. <laughs> There's more to say, as I said, uh, but we need to move on to these last three things. Um, Jesus turns to this issue of making oaths in verse 33. Uh, it seems like what's in the background here is this teaching of the religious leaders that uh, kind of how seriously you took an oath, if you gave an oath to someone, how seriously you took it depend on, on how, uh, how closely you, how, uh, how, whether or not you swore it in God's name. Sorry. How seriously you took your oath depended on whether or not or how closely you swore it towards God's name. There was this practice. So, um, you might swear, oh, look, I swear by heaven, I'll do this, right? I'll get it to you tomorrow. I swear it by heaven. Um, but because you didn't use God's name, you're, you're not really bound to it. <laughs> uh, it's sort of this playing games with words. 
and Jesus just undercuts it all. He says in verse 37, look, don't play those games, just be a person of truthfulness. This is the heart of his kingdom, a person who doesn't play those games, but whose word is trustworthy. And that's one of those things that it can be really easy to agree with, but incredibly hard to put into practice when you start honestly looking at your own heart and life uh, and all those little white lies that we tell. But it gets even more difficult, though. Jesus, in verse 38, turns to how we relate, not just to friends, but to enemies. Not just to friends, uh, to people who actually outright want to hurt you. Uh, See, there was a law in the Old Testament, again, that was designed to stop an escalating cycle of revenge. Uh, So in the law courts, they they were supposed to give out punishments that fit the crime, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, and that was designed to stop a kind of you know, um, uh, an eye and an eye, for uh, uh, two eyes for an eye, that kind of escalating cycle of retribution, revenge and violence. Um, but the, the hypocrite reads that and thinks, uh, oh, well, that, that means God's encouraged me, I can get back at people all the way up to what they've done to me. And Jesus says, no, 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 this is, this, he goes to the heart again in his kingdom. His people are not marked by revenge, but by generosity, even to those who seek, who have harmed them, who seek to do them harm. This is hard teaching, isn't it? Uh, but Jesus takes it to its highest peak in verse 43. Not only generosity to your enemy, which you could do with a resentful heart, <laughs> that goes right to the, right to the heart of things. <laughs> Not only generosity to your enemy, but love for your enemy. Uh, the Old Testament law said to love your neighbour. Uh, interestingly, it never said hate your enemy, as Jesus quotes here. Um, it seems like Jesus is quoting a teaching of the religious leaders at the time that kind of said, well, God teaches us to love our neighbours, and therefore, the sort of flip side of that is, we can hate our enemies. Um, it's this kind of tribalism that we see everywhere, don't we? We see everywhere in our culture and seeps into Christian communities too but jesus turns it on its head in verse 44 Uh, he says but i tell you love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you Uh, it's a familiar saying to many of us but i wonder if well if we all if we see how shocking it is and unthinkable for jesus to teach this scene and he knows how shocking it is too To love your neighbours, to love those who love you, uh, that's human nature. That's that's what everyone does. He says in verse 47, do not even the pagans do that, those nations who don't know the one true God. But love, a genuine desire for the good of even of our enemies. Prayer. Prayer. Prayer for those even who persecute you. That is an unworldly love. A love that can only come from God himself. Well, we've just skated over some really, really big issues. uh, Some very deep issues. Uh, And there's much more to meditate on and reflect on as we continue to be shaped by God's word here. But can you see what Jesus is doing? He's saying this righteousness, 
this greater righteousness of his kingdom, greater than the Pharisees and teachers of the law. This, it's not about just checking boxes with God. It's not about putting a mask on to look righteous on the outside. It's about a heart that is transformed and, uh, and that flows out in a transformed life. So where does this heart come from? Where does this new heart come from? Well, I, have, I, haven't, I haven't looked at the very last verse here, and I just want to land with that, and I want to show you how this last verse is like a, a key that unlocks this passage. And as I've meditated on it this week, it has uh, turned it... Uh, less uh, turned it from being more a kind of oppressive demand to being a gracious and life-giving invitation verse 48 says be perfect therefore as your heavenly father is perfect do you notice what jesus doesn't say he doesn't say be perfect so that god will become your heavenly father He doesn't say, be perfect so that you can earn your place in my kingdom. He says, God is your heavenly Father. By his wonderful grace, uh, we find out through the rest of Matthew's Gospel and the rest of the New Testament, this is by his wonderful grace, he has called you into his family, he has given you new birth through Jesus. And that's the, the absolute, utter security from within which you can begin to take off the, the masks of that external righteousness and pursue this greater righteousness. But there's even more here, friends, that I want to leave you with. What Jesus is saying, you see what he's saying? Everything is just described. Everything is just talked about. This inside-out heart-driven righteousness, this perfection, that is what God, your Father, is like. Perfectly. And do you see what that means? He has pursued relationship with you, a restored, reconciled relationship with you. He's taken the initiative to come towards you and restore that, even though he has done nothing wrong. He's treated you not as an object to be used. He's treated you as his loved creature with purity, absolute purity and respect. He has been faithful to you, even when you have wandered, even in your unfaithfulness to him. He has spoken truthfully to you, his word to you, his promises to you can be utterly trusted. His self-giving generosity to you, even when you were his enemy, is astounding. He did not hold back even his own son. And that generosity was driven by his eternal and unending and perfect heart of love for you. God demonstrated his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So there is so much in this chapter for us to reflect on, isn't there? And none of us get through it unscathed. Um, 
Actually, those are, you're in danger if you think you can skate through this unscathed. And maybe God is exposing something in your heart today. A, a problem with anger. An, an addiction to porn. Uh, the, your neglect of your marriage. Your tendency to bend the truth. Your desire to take revenge on those who've hurt you. Uh, we need to take Jesus' teaching seriously here. As we saw last, uh, as, also, as we'll see next week, uh, God, uh, uh, Jesus tells his disciples to ask God for forgiveness when they fail, and God is there to forgive. But we're also, as we saw last week in the Great Commission, we jumped to the end of Matthew's Gospel, we looked at that Great Commission, what did Jesus say to his disciples were to do? They were to make more disciples who would obey his teaching. So will you, in poverty of spirit today, obey your good Lord and even put practical steps in place. Talk to someone today about it. But do it in the strength that God and only God can provide. Go in the gospel power. Uh, because that power comes not from yourself, it comes from your perfect heavenly Father. The deepest response for us today, friends, is to see and have our hearts, our hard hearts softened, <laughs> and moulded by the beauty and perfection of our Heavenly Father, a perfection that he has shown us fully in his Son. Uh, and then, in the security of that, to then hear and obey his word. So let's pray that God will enable us to do that, can we? Let's pray. Our God, lift our eyes to the beauty of holiness to your beauty, our perfect God and Heavenly Father, to the way in which you have not re responded to us in anger, but with this amazing self-giving love, to the way in which you have been so faithful to us, so generous to us, to your great love for us in the gospel. Uh, and in the light of that, we pray, please help us to to reflect your perfection in our own lives, to pursue these things, to hear the teaching of our, of our Lord Jesus and to put it into practice so that we might live lives that are pleasing to you in every way for your glory and for our good. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.